0: Hey everyone, welcome to Simplexity, where we simplify the complexities of life and bring a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful and sometimes difficult conversations. I'm your host, Alison Stoner. Judging by the title of this episode, we're going to get nerdy, flirty, and mhm, cordy. That's Q-W-E-R-T-Y on the standard English keyboard. We haven't yet tackled an elephant in the room, which is mentioning the device through which you're listening to me speak and the ever-increasing influence technology has on our lives what are the risks the benefits the consequences how do we need to respond what does participating in advancing technologies mean for our identities and the future of privacy given our data or digital footprint you know comments on social media emails app use search history online purchases video calls are being tracked Your reputation online could be the thing between you and your dream job, but your information is also bought and shared at a price behind the screen. The umbrella of technology poses incredible promises for collective progress and just as deleterious threats against humanity and the planet. So, how do you stay classy and classified online? To sort through it all. My friend Samantha Stein is with us today. Samantha is on a mission to heighten human consciousness. She's a World Economic Forum media leader, founder of Hack Division, a platform that enables tech leaders to give back in a way that is both meaningful and highly valuable, which means helping to solve the world's greatest challenges with technology. She's also former director of special projects for TechCrunch, where she predicted the start startups most likely to exit or IPO globally by the way the startup battlefield portfolio raised over 8 billion dollars and produced a 25 percent success rate what she's also served as a consultant to over 50 of USAID's tech and innovation portfolio investments across medtech agritech edtech and cleantech I can't say I've ever used any of those terms in my life before Sam thank you for joining me on the podcast Thank you for having me. For someone who has a character named and modeled after her in the hit series Silicon Valley, you've still managed to remain largely incognito online because you're aware of this thing called data. So for those of us who are less versed, can we maybe start there with like, how is data created and What does that mean for our identities?
1: Yeah, so millions and millions and millions and millions of pieces of data exist about you and me and the internet already today. This data may seem pretty innocent, but when you start to ask yourself really existential questions like, who am I? Or things perhaps like, what do I have? Or what opportunities should I be entitled to? These are questions that it seems like you would want to have agency over deciding. I think anyone would. Mm -hmm. It seems that I should have agency over my own identity and I should be able to have the opportunity to create what sort of opportunities I want to have and Mm -hmm. make all of those decisions. The way it actually works today is there's increasing authority with algorithmic determinism. That data is being used to answer those questions for us Mm -hmm. and in ways that may not be so obvious. So if you break it down, social media is telling you who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's helping you increasingly define that by giving likes to content and prioritizing what's shown based on how you reveal your identity Mm -hmm. and creating a dialectic with that responsiveness to craft who you are and who you think you are or who you think you should be. Mm -hmm. In terms of have, it's the e-commerce giant saying, well, this is what you actually want to buy and should want to buy based on the data we've collected on you.
0: What examples have you seen in this regard?
1: A great example would be Today, a credit company could change a credit score. The algorithms that are used to determine all sorts of access to services and opportunities and act like credit scores essentially online mm-hmm. to say, okay, I know that this person has sought marital counseling and so now we are going to give them worse credit or worse access to services or charge them more for that because we see that there is this change in their behavior.
0: Interesting.
1: And that's currently legal.
0: Is it targeting certain groups more than others? Is there discrimination?
1: There's definitely also discrimination in terms of algorithmic biases. So it's not just that these things are are being compiled and then Mm -hmm. decisions are being made for you. It's also that they're being made in ways that lack context about inequity. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a bunch of data and it's mirroring, human behavior it's just replicating the pattern and saying we see this this and this and so we're going to continue to produce this but not necessarily why or that that pattern needs to change or maybe that it's actually legal um for that pattern to exist in the the first place mm-hmm. i mean one example would be if you search online mm-hmm. the names that are typically associated with people of color one researcher from harvard was just researching their name and realized oh my gosh whenever. I put in a name of myself or a family member, even though none of us have criminal records affiliated with us, Mm. we get targeted for arrest searches and ads, which is a paid service. (laughs) And then she experimented with putting in names like John or Pat. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have the same pattern. Some of those might seem more subtle and nuanced. And then there's other examples that are much more obvious. Yeah, I remember
0: we were in Oslo together. And actually, ironically, I met you because an algorithm served me an ad for the trip, which Mm -hmm. I find interesting. They know me well. It has changed my life. I'm glad I went on the trip. Uh, I was hearing a story about a fast food restaurant or a company that was testing how to predict what customers might want to order. And somehow, algorithmically, they started selecting meat and potatoes for men and porridge for women. (laughs) That was the menu item that women, this algorithm predicted, would want to order. So there's far less autonomy. There's far less room for variation. What are the implications in our day-to-day lives if we're becoming walking stereotypes I mean to the maximum
1: yeah so I think it's beyond just the the stereotypes right now if you compiled all of the salaries for women and men and you were trying to create a tool and predict how much a woman should be paid and how much a man should be paid rather than a person should be paid you might be trying to even predict okay how much should I pay this person but because one of the data points is this person is a woman and the mass status is women on average make X percent less, mm-hmm. it's going to say pay this person this amount, mm-hmm. even though that's a clear inequity. And you know, we hear a lot of people talking about how we need to have equity in so many ways, but especially in terms of, you know, gender disparities in pay. Right. And in that case, just based on the data, that's how it would be interpreted.
0: Right. And so this is a matter of democratizing technology right? It's a matter of making sure everyone is equally represented and has fair access as well to the Mm -hmm. technology itself. So right now, who owns our data and why should we care to own it?
1: Whenever there's a product or service you're using for free, that means you're the product. If you're not paying to use it, you are the product and service in some way. And the reason this is important is because what that means is all of the data that you are creating on that product is owned by whoever is the creator of it. So Mm -hmm. they have their own copy essentially of, you can think of it in the um, centralized compute model of like they have their copy of the internet, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. within that closed system, they're collecting data on you that they own. And then they can in many ways do as they please with that data. Mm -hmm. I often hear when you ask people, like, don't you care about your digital privacy? Don't you care that these apps are collecting data on you? And they're like, no, you know, it's convenient. I have nothing to hide. This seems pretty mundane. Hmm. Where it stops being mundane is when you can actually broker and match a bunch of data sets together and infer things about people, how they would think, how they would act, how they would respond to things. So you can think of that as someone's digital subconscious, so to speak. Hmm. And it's less about, is this mundane data in porn? It's collectively, can this data be used to manipulate you and manipulate your choices or make choices for you? Right. And I think if you reframe the question as, instead of, do you care about your privacy to do you care about being manipulated? Most people all of a sudden would say, yeah, I don't mm. wanna be manipulated. No one likes to be manipulated.
0: Right. Is there an upside to big data? Could big
1: data be used to actually
0: solve like global crises?
1: Definitely. There's good and bad to everything. So all tools can be used to serve humanity in positive or in negative ways. Mm -hmm. Right now, people aren't incentivized to share their data. Let's say you have a bunch of banana growers. How do you incentivize them all to share their data of how their business is operating, Mm -hmm. how many bananas they're producing, what they're selling, how many resources they're using to create those bananas? But there's ways today you could incentivize all of those banana growers using technologies like zero-knowledge proof encryption to share their data without revealing who it belongs to in terms Mm. of the individual members of the data set. And where this gets really interesting in terms of solving a world problem is if you can incentivize that data aggregation in a way that's non-competitive and in a way that benefits everyone, you can tell one banana producer, oh, you're using X percentage more water than Mm. on average across the board. Hmm. And now imagine if you amplify that across supply chains and we can see how we can manage resources more efficiently.
0: Hmm. Um, are there specific projects that you're excited about, that you're working on, um, that are kind of a response to this?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's money. I mean, one of the recent big developments in my career has been that I helped co-found a company called Unim Labs. And their first brand to market called Cylon Targets skincare for People of Color. When we think about access to personal care or even just basic things like, you know, day-to-day skincare, Mm -hmm. we don't realize that there's huge inequities in just access to basic things like that based on how markets are served and products are currently developed. Mm. So this is such an interesting product because by 2044, the majority of the U.S. population, according to census data, will be people of color. So that's just around the corner. And yet there are not scientifically developed products on the market for basic things like skincare that address those scientific differences in skin profiles. Mm -hmm. So, for example, most of the products on the market today have things that would cause unevenness in their skin, bleaching for a lot of products. Mm Um, that aggravate existing conditions. Mm -hmm. And Patrick Boateng, who actually was a diplomat in China, was having terrible skin issues because of the pollution hmm. and went on this quest to find something to help his skin and hmm. learned that it's not just that products in the market actually aggravate his skin, it's that they would also not treat conditions that disproportionately affect people of color, like hmm. keloids, for example. Right. So someone I really admire is Arlen Hamilton. She has spoken fearlessly in the media about, hmm. we need to change this, here's why. And she wants people to see that they have blind spots, so they're not investing in these markets, not because the opportunity for large returns aren't there, if anything, like, greater opportunity for return is there. I mean, if you're talking about products to serve what will soon be over half the U.S. population, it's clear that that's a tremendous market opportunity. It's more that the way a lot of venture capital still works today is based on networks, so Mm I went to school with this person and then i know them through a friend and then someone else introduces them so it's sort of this like closed group networking Mm -hmm. like when you look at those statistics there's a lot of clear discrimination it's not that there are tremendously less founders trying to get funding from those demographics it's that it really is an uphill battle for them Hmm. how do we ensure that the
0: value creation um, isn't disproportionately benefiting a certain group of people
1: so one of the ways, of course, is that we need to make sure that more resources and funding and support goes to everyone mm-hmm. from all different backgrounds and not just disproportionately one type of signal profile. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all have seen the image of like the white dude in the hoodie who went mm-hmm. to Stanford as being like, this is what a startup founder looks like. Mm-hmm. And part of my work has been trying to change that sort of understanding of the image and highlight entrepreneurs from all different backgrounds all over the world so Mm -hmm. when people think about being an entrepreneur they can see that there's faces of people who look like them Mm -hmm. there's profiles that resonate with their background so they can see that there are pathways for them too right in terms of where where things are going right now Mm -hmm. you know people talk a lot about like cryptocurrencies and blockchain it's a lot of buzzwords there's a lot of confusion about like what are these technologies what does this mean Mm -hmm. Um, so blockchain sits under this distributed ledger technology and blockchain is like one one subpart of that and cryptocurrencies are one, one tiny part of that. Hmm. And most people don't realize that already 97% of the US monetary supply is like solely digital. When we think of it that way, like, you know, digital currencies aren't some radically new thing. No, it's not a huge leap. What's a huge leap is the idea that it's programmable money. So you can set certain um, conditions and contracts to it Mm. that can simplify a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And this is immensely, immensely valuable when you think about the types of conditions you can set around financial instruments or the ways they will be used Mm -hmm. or the ways in which um, a cryptocurrency or crypto asset can represent a good or service and how it's being used or held. Mm. And what I would like to see is that the investment also in these areas is understood in more digestible terms by a larger audience, Mm -hmm. so that we don't have um, conditions replicated where it's one specific type of person, a group of people has a disproportionate amount of power in the value creation there, Mm because we're gonna see the next big wave of of immense value creation come from that area.
0: Hmm. A lot of what you're talking about is truly just how the umbrella of technology (laughs) co-conspires. (laughs) with um, human consciousness and the human condition. Where does tech play into that? And how can those two be a beautiful married couple that lasts forever? The
1: baseline is how do we make sure people are dedicated to creating tools that are used for good? Mm -hmm. And even if you're creating something with the intention of good, there can be unintended negative consequences. Another larger piece of the puzzle is how do we create things that aren't created in sort of like a fear-based mentality of like i need to dominate for security i need to accumulate massive wealth so that i feel safe Mm -hmm. but in ways that instead are collaborative to create greater intelligence sharing so that we can share resources and intelligence to heighten the the human experience and Mm -hmm. transform it in ways that help us grow and not limit us or make us sick so there's many ways today in which you see that people are sick because of technology or you see that we're actually making our planet very sick and ill because of the ways in which we treat its resource allocation as a zero sum game and mm-hmm. people want to accumulate and use it for profit mm-hmm. to the point at which they deplete it beyond repair. Mm-hmm and right now what we're seeing is people are in a highly immersive environment there's more tech around us than ever before mm-hmm. i mean there's lots of people born today who would never remember growing up with or that in television or cell phones around them or tvs or I flashing know. billboards all around you know yep. instagram is just a scroll of billboards now right right i would know <laughs> <laughs> it's changing the way humans react to their environment mm-hmm. And so that has to do with how our minds are wired and think, mm-hmm. how our minds are programmed. Mm-hmm. So you see heightened rates of anxiety and depression. There's a disease called Takikomori, which came out of Japan first, but I think we will um, have a term for it in the United States too, which is basically like a self-isolation because mm-hmm. of technology and the inability right. to socialize with other humans or fear of it. Mm-hmm you see that what was considered connection through digital access instead is creating a false sense of connection Mm -hmm. and true presence where someone is truly looking at someone, not thinking about anything else, and present with them in that moment, not thinking of what they're going to say next, but just really being there to listen to what they're saying Mm -hmm. and hold space in that moment with them.
0: Nervous system to nervous system.
1: Exactly, is increasingly rare. Mm-hmm. So the new currency I think is actually um, true connection or presence and that's the thing that's highly highly valuable today and healing to mm-hmm. people. Companies like Calm or Headspace or Muse which is an EEG headband to mm-hmm. let you know when your thoughts are trailing in meditation become these really huge companies mm-hmm. because there is more of a need than ever to to access that mental clarity and presence and calmness of the mind.
0: And even our carnal nature, our sexuality, sensuality is affected by technology. And I know you've spoken a little bit about that.
1: Definitely. So when you think of not having control over your mind, your mind being one part of your body, it's also body awareness. So mm-hmm. people have lost a lot of their body awareness of being in touch with how are they feeling, mm-hmm. which is why you know basic breathing techniques through meditation, I've been tremendously helpful to people enough that they're, you know, and once again, startup land plan buying these subscriptions to just have five, 10 minutes a day of guided meditation. Mm-hmm. Knowing how something makes you feel, knowing what it feels like to be grounded in sitting on a chair or being aware of your surroundings in that way rather than having things passively be passing you by or decisions mm-hmm. being passively made for you like algorithms do. Yeah. That's why when you ask people how they feel, it should be the most natural question ever. How do you feel? And it should be like, of course I know how I feel. I'm the greatest expert on my feelings in my body. But you see so many pause and like look confused. Try asking mm-hmm. your friends, right? How do you feel? And you see that common look now of someone just sort of pausing and trying to digest it and figure out how they feel. Mm-hmm. So it's almost dissociated. It's hard to access.
0: Right. And they're floating. They haven't landed. They haven't grounded.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you ask yourself that, or if you ask friends that, and you see that, it's probably time to engage in more self-awareness practices for your mind and your body. And to answer your question of how does that relate to sexuality, we have more and more rates of young people actually having less sex, less sexual partners, even though um, that may not be the reputation we're seeing in the media. We have skyrocketing rates of Um, erectile dysfunction with young men Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of these I'd say are um, a consequence actually of technology an unintended consequence Mm -hmm. so you have more and more people who have endless options and paralysis of choice for dating because they're using dating apps that are designed to not lose their customers so if Mm -hmm. you're designing a product not to lose your customer you don't actually want to match people to be in a happy, mm-hmm. sexually fulfilled relationship together. Mm-hmm. You want them to, you know, go off and then come back and look for more. Yeah, And so sort of many dating apps have turned into these like sexual buffets. And that's not the only way people are using them. But that mentality of, oh, there's always going to be something next. I need to consume the next thing mm. is preventing sexual connection in a um, meaningful, fulfilled way.
0: Yeah, contentment.
1: Exactly. And then beyond that, you have porn and people looking at porn. So the internet has always been used for porn, but now Mm -hmm. we're going to larger and larger rates of it being used. When you ask most men especially, how do they learn about sex or sensual pleasure connection? Mm -hmm. They'll tell you they learn from porn. Yeah, To me, that's a little unsettling, especially because porn doesn't prioritize female pleasure and you need... um, equal pleasure of both partners regardless of their gender background mm-hmm. to or how they identify in order for it to be the most mutual fulfilling mm-hmm. experience for both people
0: and safe and, and safe consensual men, yes. exactly. all of these
1: things <laughs> um so that's a real concern and now we're going into a world where there's sex robots and there's vr porn and biofeedback in those environments mm-hmm we can sort of see these like black mirror-esque futures in which people might actually forget how to have meaningful Mm -hmm. person-to-person sexual connection that prioritizes both partners' pleasure. Right. And I think what we're going to see as a response to that is in the same way we've seen mindfulness Mm -hmm. take off, people are going to have that also with their sexual intimacy. So how do I get back into... Uh, rhythm of connection with my body and body awareness.
0: Mm-hmm. which is sort of actually reflective of a lot of ancient traditions and wisdom that yeah. we've just kind of departed from, especially in Western culture. I think a final a final question or um, launching pad for you to kind of say whatever needs to be said that hasn't been is how can we how can I be on the uh,
1: quote unquote right side of human consciousness and technology? Intentions are the greatest poetry, and so I think keeping yourself uh, and people around you attuned to their intentions and constantly bringing them back to what is the northern star and why mm-hmm. am I creating where I'm coming, creating and where is that coming from, is, is super critical. How am I making sure that all of the work I create reflects my intentions, and how am I also inspiring that ethos in people around me? Mm-hmm. So we can also think, what is my intentions of using this technology? Am I looking for human connection and to strengthen my relationships? And if so, is technology actually serving me in that way? Or is it feel that way a little bit, but it's actually bringing me further apart from the people I care about? Mm. Am I spending the right amount of quality time with them?
0: I'll be uh, reading a lot of books to try and (laughs) understand half of what you've shared today. Um, Really, there's so much value. I appreciate you sharing. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So for everyone listening, after hearing all of this, how are you feeling? Comment any thoughts and emotions, questions that are bubbling up, because we covered a lot of territory. So uh, yeah, I think we should just jump right into this week's three key takeaways. You can use these insights as mantras, affirmations, or ideas to contemplate. I'll say each twice, and you can repeat the third. I am... Intentional about making technology and the world an equitable place for everyone. I am intentional about making technology and the world an equitable place for everyone. Number two. I'm conscious of my digital footprint. I'm conscious of my digital footprint. Number three. I seek real human contact, nervous system to nervous system. I seek real human contact, nervous system to nervous system. Perfect. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Share it with someone if you think they can be inspired or pretty thought-provoking, so um, share with everyone you see on the street, really. It would mean so much if you could take a second to rate and review this podcast. I'm Alison Stoner, signing off on Simplexity. It's anything but small talk. Peace!